let's begin again this morning with another word of prayer. Would you bow with me, please? Father, we come before your throne because you are holy. Holy, holy, holy is your name. Your creator of all things, sustainer of all things. Father, you are our rock, our redeemer, our hope. And Father, we come before you today with Jesus at your right hand, thanking you for him, thanking you for what he did, what he continues to do. Father, we submit to you through his lordship, Father. Father, we thank you for your spirit. And we pray that we have worshiped through that spirit today in a way that honors you. But Father, we pray in a very special way for our world right now. For what's going on in Europe, what's happening in Ukraine and Russia. And and Father, we, we see the world anxious. We're anxious. And Father, we pray for peace. We pray for peace because we want the gospel to go forth. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Russia, we we support a work there in St. Petersburg, and we pray for that ministry. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. We pray for those throughout your Father and around the world. Father, help us. Help us to use whatever opportunity we have, Father, to advance your cause. And Father, we do, as Stan mentioned earlier, look forward to that, that time when Jesus comes back. And Father, all evil will be placed under the footstool of your Son, Jesus. Until that time, use us. Use us to your glory, your power, and your might, Father, to advance your cause here in Hendersonville and around the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The mission of God. That's why I'm concerned about what's happening in the world. As we seek to try and and take the gospel to as many people as possible in hopes of giving all people the opportunity of becoming followers of Jesus Christ, our Lord. This last week, John, Micah, and William and I attended a a preaching seminar on the mission of God. As I told someone the other day, I wish they had had the seminar about three months ago instead of after I'd gotten into it for a while. But boy, what a focus we, we got to spend in thinking about what is God doing in the world and how can we join God in doing that in the world. And of course, we started this year by looking at how God worked through Israel to accomplish his mission. And I want to urge you today, don't let the study of Israel make you think, well, it's about the Old Testament, it's about ancient Israel, and it really has nothing to do with us today. It has everything to do with us today. And I hope you'll see that this morning as we continue to look at what God did through Israel, leading up to, of course, his son, Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked at David, and we looked at how that God finally chose a king after his own heart. And David, of course, as he got old, he began to think, how can I glorify God? And his thoughts was, here I am in my palace of cedar. God's in a tent. And of course, you know, he's not, but you know, that's what David thought. And he said, I'm going to build a house for him. And God stepped in and said, no. You've shed too much blood. But I tell you what I'll do. I'll build a house for you. And so I have this beautiful Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7. Notice again, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. You're not building a house for him. He's building one for you. And then he goes on and says, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. And your throne will be established forever. That's where Jesus is sitting right now on the throne of David at the right hand of God, ruling over everything bringing God's enemies under his feet. That promise that God gave to David began to be fulfilled immediately in the life of his son Solomon. 
Solomon was born to Bathsheba, the woman he had committed adultery with. And Solomon itself is taken from the word shalom, and, and it's basically one of peace. And God promised a period of peace for Israel during the reign of David's son. David is about to die, and he calls Solomon in. Solomon at this time is 18, 19 years old. I want you all to think about that. I mean, he, he, he's barely, you know, barely fixing to enter into his 20s. And look at what David says to him. Now, my son, the Lord be with you, and may you have success and build the house of the Lord your God. I want you to do what I've been planning all of these last few months of my life. He goes on and he says, may the Lord give you discretion and understanding, which is interesting because in just a few months, God would come to Solomon and say, what do you want? And Solomon would remember what David had asked. You know, may God give you discretion and understanding, and he would pray for that. We'll see that here in a moment. Why? So that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you'll have success if you're careful to obey the decrees and the laws that God gave to Moses for Israel. And then I love, boy, these last two phrases, because they apply to us today. I mean, we need them as much as Solomon needed them some 3,000 years ago. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged. Because I've got to be honest with you. You open your phone up in the morning and you look at the news and it's discouraging. I mean, I, I just have to quit sometime trying to just keep up with what's going on because what's going on seems so negative and so tragic. And yet at the same time, here's God whispering in our ear, don't be discouraged, don't be afraid. I've got this. We've got to trust that he does. Well, David dies and Solomon takes the throne at 20 years old. I want you all to think about that. 20 years old. United States says you've got to be 35, you're going to be president of the United States. God chose a 20-year-old. And of course, when I was 20 years old, I thought I had all the answers. Y'all know that. We all do. It's just, you know, we just don't know what the questions are, as the old saying goes. You know, and, and so here God turns to this 20-year-old and, and David had brought the ark. That's one of the things we looked at last week. David had brought the ark to Jerusalem. But one of the things that's fascinating is, is that the ark is in Jerusalem in a special tent that David had pitched while the tabernacle is still up at Gibeon. Isn't that interesting? Ark of the Covenant's not in the Holy of Holies. Ark of the Covenant's in a special tent in Jerusalem. And so Solomon goes up to the tabernacle, not the Ark of the Covenant, to the tabernacle there, and notice what he does. He offers a thousand burnt offerings there in front of, you know, the tabernacle, the presence of God, and God is touched by it. 20-year-old kid, thousand sacrifices to honor the Lord God of his father and of him. And it was that night that God appeared to Solomon. Well, let's, let's, let's just confess with something we all wished we had. <laughs> just ask whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. You want long life? I'll give you long life. You want fame? I'll give you fame. You want power? I'll give you power. I mean, just ask whatever you want. And, of course, Solomon was wise in asking of all things for wisdom. I love the text here. Now, the Lord God... Let your promise to my father David be confirmed. God, in other words, do what you said to my father you would do. For you've made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. So give me wisdom 
and knowledge so that I can lead this people. The very thing that David had told him, ask God for this, may God give you this, and God grants it to him. And what a man he was. Solomon immediately begins building this magnificent temple. I don't know exactly how long it took. uh, The text may actually say, Rodney, I I don't remember if it says exactly how long. But he builds this magnificent temple to God and dedicates it to the Lord. And when he dedicates it to the Lord, I mean, Israel is right at the pinnacle of their existence. I mean, it's such an exciting time. I love this text here in 2 Chronicles 5. As they're dedicating the temple, then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud, with the Shekinah glory of God, and the priests could not perform their service because the cloud for the glory of the Lord had filled the temple of God. Well, wouldn't it be exciting that we got so excited about God one Sunday morning that all at once the room began to fill up with a cloud so much that we all had to run out into the parking lot and just watch it. I mean, that's what happened there in Jerusalem. And all at once, you have this incredible dedication of this place by Solomon. Solomon prays what may be one of the most amazing prayers in all of Scripture. It's one of the longest ones recorded in the Bible. And of course, it kind of moves in different directions, but part of it is about what will happen to Israel if she sins. And notice what Solomon, this, you know, 20-something-year-old kid says. When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin. Solomon knew that all too well because of who his mother and father was. I mean, my father, my mother, no one doesn't sin. And you became angry with them, and you give them over to an enemy who takes them captive to a land far away or near, whatever it may be. And if they have a change of heart... Lord, if when they sin, you drive them out, but then they have a change of heart in the land where they're held captive, and and they repent and plead with you in the land of captivity. We've sinned. We've acted wrongly. We've acted wickedly. Watch what he asks of Lord. And if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul, now remember that, if they turn back to you, it's become very, very important here in just a moment. In the land of their captivity where you've taken them and they pray toward this land, toward this city, toward this temple. Then from heaven, your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their pleas. Hold up their cause and forgive your people who've sinned against you. Now why is that important? That prayer is important because while Solomon was praying for Israel in the future... What he was praying was fixing to happen to him personally in his own life. Solomon was fixing to take a very tragic turn. Israel reaches her pinnacle. Peace is all around her. The nations are looking up to her. I mean, she's the most powerful nation in the world at that time. And all at once, Solomon takes a tragic turn. In so many ways, it's described in the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, there's some debate who wrote Ecclesiastes. I think Solomon wrote it. I think it's about his life. But if you'll notice in the very beginning of Ecclesiastes, I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I applied my mind to study, to explore wisdom. And you think there, wow, isn't that great what he's doing? He's applying his mind. He's exploring wisdom. But here's the problem. Notice where. All that is done under the heavens. You got to see what's going on here. Because in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's going to be about two different perspectives a heavenly perspective and an earthly perspective. What's above 
and what's underneath the sun. And the problem with Solomon is that his first mistake was to turn his eyes from God's agenda to his own agenda. Boy, does that sound familiar? I mean, how many times have I done that? What about you? What's your agenda right now in the world? Is it God's agenda? Or have you just kind of said, God, I don't know what you're doing in the world, but here's what I'm doing. That's kind of what Solomon did. And Solomon began to focus on things down here. Colossians chapter 3, Paul, in one of his great statements about what happens when we come up out of the waters of baptism. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. And that's the imagery that you have, that resurrection out of the water. Notice what he says. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Probably the greatest challenge I have in my life, probably all of us have in our life, is how do we stay focused on what God is doing as opposed to what is going on in our world and maybe what we need to be or want to be doing. And that's where Solomon messed up. Among the things that he did, if you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll see all, I mean, he built great building, building projects. He studied plant life and animal life. I mean, he built a huge army. I mean, he did all kinds of things. And among them, of course, he built up a harem, he said. And you see the description of what happened as a result of that in 1 Kings 11. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women. And boy, when the Bible says many, I mean many. Hundreds. Hundreds of wives, hundreds of concubines. And notice this, women from Mo, uh, not only Pharaoh's daughters, but the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidonians, the Hittites. And then notice the text there. They were from the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with these people. Solomon, of all people, you know they're going to turn your heart after their gods. And of course, you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7, and it says that point blank. Solomon wasn't ignorant of it. He just decided to turn away from what the Lord had said. And of course, the tragedy was what he did. His heart, his mind, they focused on the wrong thing. Notice what he did after building this incredible, on Mount Zion, this beautiful temple to the Lord God on a hill east of Jerusalem. You know the temple faces east? I mean, you come over Mount of Olives and there is the Temple Mount and the temple would have faced due east. And on a hill, evidently, maybe the Mount of Olives, that's the only range I know of, Rodney, east. Maybe there was a smaller hill. But notice what he did. He builds a high place for Chemish, the detestable god of Moab. And then Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. And he did the same for all of his foreign wives. The guy who had built the temple to the glory of God is now building these temples to all of these foreign gods because that's who his wives worshipped. And watch what the text says. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord, the God of Israel. We need to let that one sink in. Where's your heart this morning? I mean, is it, is it focused on God? Or is it on other things? I mean, the stock market's not going to be good tomorrow. Is that what it's focused on? I mean, inflation? 
By the way, anybody put gas in your cars lately? I mean, when you drive an F-150 with a 26-gallon uh, tank, do you know what it costs to fill that thing up? I mean, I'm having to go June every week going, I need more money. Come on, more money, you know. By the way, June has a stash of money that she holds back, and I don't know where it's at. I don't know how much it is, you know. I'm scared to death something happens to her. I'll never find it, you know. I'm hoping she's told one of you where it is, you know, just in case. You know, it's easy to get focused on what's happening in this world. But Solomon's mistake, and a few moments ago I said that it was because he had turned his eyes, but in reality it went further than his eyes. It became his heart. Not just that he looked the wrong direction, he looked down here instead of up there, but he began to look in the wrong direction in here. And he turned his heart away from God's agenda to his own agenda. Now, I do think that he turned at the end of his life. You know, of all the things that God basically said to him, he said, listen, because you've asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you all the things that you could have asked for. But he shortened his life. David lived to be 70. Solomon died at 60. I want you to think about that. I'm already over 60 myself, and Solomon's already dead. And I have to think that near the end of his life, as health began to just kind of crash in on him, that he began to look at all he had done and began to realize, you know what, the only way I can describe this is meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Why? Because life is like a breath that appears for a short time, and then it's gone. And all you have to do is talk to someone in the room who's got gray hair will tell you just how fast it passes. You wake up one morning, you look in the mirror, and you go, where have all the years gone? But it's not just where have the years gone, but what have you done with those years? Have they been in service to God? Or just God been kind of a side issue for you? Solomon had to realize the mistake he made, and he said, now all's been heard. Boy, I, I, I would love to have heard his voice say this. Here's the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Keep his commandments, for this is the whole NIV says duty. The word duty is not there in the text. Simply is, in the Hebrew, the whole of life. This is life. Fear God. Keep his commandments, which is what his father David had told him. You know, just, just do what God asks you to do. And, of course, the end result is the kingdom immediately is split. Solomon dies. Rehoboam comes to the throne. Kingdom is split between Rehoboam in the south, Jeroboam in the north. Jeroboam begins to go away from God very quickly, builds altars in Bethel and Dan, begins to, you know, once again, depict God as a golden calf. Here is your God. This is who you need to follow. And anybody who reads the Old Testament books of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles quickly realizes that in the north there never was a righteous king. Not one. Elijah, at one point during his ministry, said, I'm the only one. And that's the way he felt. And within 200 years of Solomon's death, all at once the north is gone. God sends the Assyrians. And sure enough, just as the book of Deuteronomy had said, you turn your back on me, I'm going to scatter you. And they were scattered to the nations. Israel in the south, Judah as she was called, was a little bit different. You see, the kings there sometimes would serve God and then their sons wouldn't. Sometimes they would serve God and then their sons wouldn't. And it kind of looks like a roller coaster. And I don't know about you, but sometimes it kind of looks like my life. 
I mean, sometimes that's the way I feel, those moments where I'm in a spiritual high and then I have a spiritual low, and a spiritual high and a spiritual low. And that's what the story of Judah was. Until God finally said, enough is enough. Even though you had men like Jehoshaphat and Joash and Hezekiah and Josiah, what an incredible young man who wanted to serve and worship God in so many powerful ways, and yet all of his kids went astray after the idols of the nations around them. And as a result of this, 586, the Babylonians come in and they destroy that magnificent temple that Solomon had built, once and for all gone. And they carry Israel to Babylon into captivity. And at this point, you think, wow, is this it? Is it over? Jeremiah asked that question. See, Jeremiah lived during this time. Jeremiah is in Jerusalem when all of this is happening. A contemporary of his, Ezekiel, has already been gone, taken to Babylon. And so Jeremiah and Ezekiel are both kind of reflecting, okay, God, what are you doing? How is your mission still going forward when everything that we thought you'd built up is now gone? And so Jeremiah writes in Jeremiah 31, this is what the Lord says, sing with joy for Jacob. You've got to be kidding me, right? I mean, God, do you see what's going on? I mean, Jerusalem's being destroyed. The temple has been burnt down. Your people has been scattered all over creation. And you want us to sing for joy? You want to shout for the foremost of the nations? You want to make your praises heard and say, Lord? And then he tells us why. Save your people, the remnant. The remnant. There are always a group of people that God says, I'm going to work through them. And he says, I'm going to make new plans. For Israel, for Jacob, for, for Judah. I, I love what both Jeremiah and Ezekiel do. As, as everybody is losing hope, they said, can we give you a vision of the future? And here's what Jeremiah said. He said, the days are coming when I'll make a new covenant with the people of Israel, with the house of Judah. And this is the covenant I'll make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I'll put my law in their hearts and write them on, uh, in their minds and write them on their hearts and I'll be their God and they'll be my people. I mean, here's God, and God says, can I tell you what's coming? I'm going to do something very different. He goes on to say this. He says, I'm going to forgive their sins and, or, or their wickedness, and I'll remember their sins no more. I'm going to take care of sin, which we celebrated a few moments ago. Clyde did a fantastic job this morning with communion as, as he just took us to the table and to what Jesus did there. I, I love the fact that we held the bread, and, and when he said... We don't often get to hold the bread at the same time. And boy, it just dawned on me, boy, how true that is. That was a powerful moment. Well, that's the covenant that God promised and the one that Jesus put in. And he says, but I'm going to put my law in your hearts. I'm going to, I'm going to put it in your mind, write it on your hearts. And, and if you're not careful, you pause for a moment and you say, but Lord, didn't you do that to ancient Israel? And it didn't work with them. Why is it going to work with us? And that's where the first covenant and the second covenant is so very, very different. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. You don't hear anything else I say this morning. Please hear me on this one. Ezekiel says something that is so powerful that, that at least for generations in, in our fellowship, we forgot. And Ezekiel, writing at the same time Jeremiah writes, says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you, and I'll remove you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I'll put my spirit in you. 
I'm going to do something that's never been done before. I'm going to put my spirit in you. And I'm going to move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I mean, of all the things that we missed in, in, in previous years of preaching, and I love our fellowship, and I love those who went before us, but sometimes, let's face it, we all forget some things. And one of the things that we forgot was the impact of the Holy Spirit working in and through the life of the believer. I mean, when I first obeyed the gospel, I didn't know about the gift of the Spirit. Now, God worked in and through me through His Spirit, whether I acknowledged it or not, and for that I'm so grateful. But at the same time, God said, listen, I'm going to put my Spirit in you, and I'm going to move through that Spirit to help you to do, notice this, to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. There is something about the awareness of the Spirit of God living in us every moment of every day that changes how we look at the world. And that's why when we come up out of the waters of baptism, the most important thing in the waters of baptism is not the washing away of the sins. That's important, but that's not the most important. The most important is the changing of the heart, the giving of God's Spirit, the restoration of us into the image of God through the work of that same Spirit and the power that He brings to bear in our lives. And that's what God promises. He said, There's a new day dawning, and it's coming. I like kind of the superhero movies. One of my favorite is a movie called Batman Begins. It came out in 2005. It started Christian Bale and, and Michael Caine, and it just kind of tells the story. Of course, you know, every, every few years, a new Batman or a new Spider-Man or a new... Y'all have watched it. I mean, they, they just go back and repackage, come out with a new one, new actor and everything. But there's a scene in this movie that I especially like. It's near the end of the movie. Bruce Wayne has been attacked in his house. And, and the enemies of Gotham City is setting on fire. And the house is beginning to crumble. He falls under a beam. Alfred, his waiter, his butler, comes and helps save him, played by Michael Caine. And they rush to the secret place that takes them down into the Batcave and and they jump on this elevator and they start down. As they're going down this elevator, Bruce Wayne looks up and he sees his house on fire. And he says to Alfred, everything that my dad and mom, everything that my family has done, is all just, just being destroyed. I thought I could save Gotham. And then Alfred looks at him. And he says, why do we fall? Why do we fall? And then he says something that I disagree with ferociously. Michael Caine said, as, as Alfred, he says, so that we can learn to pick ourselves up. It's not about us learning to pick ourselves up. It's about us learning to let God pick us up. To let God continue his work in our lives. Yes, as Solomon said, we'll all sin. We'll all fall short. Well, what happens when we fall? We learn to let God pick us up. And that spirit to continue his work. But it's what they said next that I do like. Bruce Wayne, played by Christian Bale, says, you still haven't given up on me. And Michael Caine, playing Alfred, says to him, never, with that beautiful British accent. And you know what? God never gave up on Israel. And he'll never give up on you, on me. 
I love this next text. This is Psalm 23, the last verse. You, you, we all know Psalm 23. If I started quoting it, we all could join in. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But it's that last verse that I think sometimes we miss the meaning of it. And to me, it's the most powerful. It's the one I read at every funeral I do. One of the things about Psalm 23 is there's six verses in it. And there's a transition that occurs in those six verses. About verse 4, between 3 and 4, David changes from speaking of God in, in third person singular, he, to speaking of God in second person singular, you. Becomes far more intimate. But that last verse, I, I know you remember it, you know. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But I love the way the voice, recent translation that came out, I love the way they state it. And notice how they say it. Certainly your faithful protection and loving provisions will pursue me, will chase after me, will do more than follow, but it will absolutely come full blast. Wherever I go, always, everywhere. And I'll always be with the eternal in your house forever. That's what God calls us to. It's what he called ancient Israel to. It's what he calls us to. And the question is, are you ready to follow him? Are you well ready to join him in his mission? I don't know where you are in your walk. I don't know if you're looking up or if you're looking down. But let me tell you right now that God is whispering, come to me. Come to me. Why do we fall? So that he can lift us up. And if you need lifting up today, why don't you come as together we stand and sing.